Welcome to the East Haven Men's Ministry Podcast. This is Jared, East Haven Men's Ministry Director, and I'm joined with Pastor John today. We are going to talk about manhood, and that's an uncomfortable word to say. It feels weird saying it. Yeah, it does. Um, I don't know why. I just, as we were like, let's talk about manhood, it, I don't know, saying the word makes me feel weird. Yeah. So I just had to put that out there. All right. We're in the same boat. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm there with you. Cool. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, uh, John had the little chant, like we at Man Camp last year had uh, a chant yeah. that everybody would say, and it was just, huh, you know, it's just like a man noise, what, I guess. What I should don't know. men do? What <laughs> should men do? We should make noise, right? Front. And, uh, and so it became like a chant that, um, you know, whenever Man Camp was said, that was the response, and, um, you know, the boys really loved it for sure, and, and us men, I think we liked it too once we got over the awkwardness of it. Yeah. But on the topic of manhood um, and, and what really a man should be, be or become or be seeking after, I think it's worth having that conversation because we live in a time right now where if society had their way, we would go to work, we would keep our mouths closed, and we would just sit and watch TV the rest of the time and not make any noise. Uh, and, and that's, you know, we started to see it, I think, with sitcoms, you know, made men kind of look passive and, and not the leader in the house. And, or oafish. And oafish or yeah. whatever, making fun of them. And, and now it's just, it's just across the board. Like, you know, the man is very rarely... You know, we're watching Disney movies. There's like no male lead anymore, um, and and whatever. I mean, I'm not knocking on anything in particular, but as men, we aren't leading, and that is probably why we're having some issues in our world that seem to be so, perpetuating. Uh, maybe issues in our church, issues in our home, um, issues in the workplace, and so. And having this conversation about about manhood, um, I thought maybe we'd share a little bit about what helped us develop into the men that we are now, good and bad, because it's not all, you know, we're not poster children not for anything. Shining examples of manhood. No, for <laughs> I am for sure not. You know, like in in the different men's ministry events that we've done so far, and even in this podcast and and things to come, like I've. I've had people ask me the question, like, what, what, what was the inspiration behind this event? Like, why did you do this event? And my only answer was because it's like, it's something that I needed and wanted. Yeah. Like, I couldn't find that on my own. So we just did it. And because, in doing it, you recognized you weren't alone. And in doing you it, the only one who needed it. Exactly. So John, tell us a little bit about maybe things that you remember growing up that have uh, shown up as you uh, in you as a man? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. Um, growing up, I didn't really have a father figure in my life. I don't really recall um, a specific male influence that taught me what it was to be a man. Um, I didn't have my father in my own home. My stepdad wasn't around very long. And so, so growing up, I didn't even grow up in the church really. But what I do remember are um, men who intentionally invested time, albeit short, who invested um, and, and developed in me who I am today. 
Um, even as we were thinking through this, there are certain characteristics that exist in me today that are a result of um, influences while I was growing up. Um, and they're also a reaction to influences while growing up. And so I am who I am today because I saw that modeled for me. And I am who I am today because I am reacting, maybe shifting that pendulum in a completely opposite direction of who I am today in a reaction of what I did or didn't see growing up as well. Yeah, and, and it's interesting how that is an onion that continues to be peeled back over time. Like, you know, whatever something happens in life, maybe it's through work or through parenting or marriage, and, and you discover something that maybe wasn't what you what it should have been in that moment um and and so you know there's there's a choice that can be made i either uh work towards becoming what i know i need so that next time it's not a problem um or you know maybe the the stubbornness in us doubles down on um on maybe what we think is right or feels right um but that's it's a constant unveiling i think of it or i i you know, the sanctification process is ongoing. You know, there's no, there's no having arrived as a Christian until you're at the footsteps of the Father. And um, I, I realize that in my life, there is no arriving at having understood everything that has made me to where I am now. Yeah. Um, you know, even Scripture, we read Scripture, and it unveils itself differently to us every time we read it. It's a living, breathing thing. Um, and it's just real interesting. Yeah, I think it's important for us to recognize uh, God did not make a mistake when he made men the way that he made men and women the way that he made women. And for them to interact in, in complementary and sometimes counteracting roles, um, God has a very specific role for biblical manhood. Um, and, and I think one of the challenges we find ourselves in when you say, um, even saying the word manhood is uncomfortable, is that we're living in a society that is continuously and increasingly undermining what it means to be a man. Um, for I think for a few decades, they misidentified what it was to be a man. You know, probably that 40s, 50s, 60s, where manhood was this strong, domineering, um, men lead, women submit. Uh, that was a dangerous role. And then that pendulum shifted, and now we live in a society where manhood, especially biblical manhood, is frowned upon. It's increasingly um, looked at as a detriment to society. Um, and, and when we talk about the gender wars and, and even uh, some of what's going on in our society, it's an affront and an attack on manhood itself, as God has defined it. God defined men as created to lead um, spiritually and physically their household. That means that it's the man's responsibility. And in fact, this is the only time in all of Scripture that, man, uh, that a person is accountable for anyone but themselves is when a man is accountable for the, sp the spiritual condition of his wife and his children. And so there is a, a heavy responsibility on the man to lead properly. It says that, that in Scripture, it says that, that men will be held accountable for the spiritual condition of their homes, that men should be leading their church, that men should be leading in their country, that men should be leading in their society, 
that's a lot of responsibility. And I think part of it is that we feel the weight of that. But then part of that is, is that, that it sometimes seems unfair to society. Um, but it's really a beautiful thing that God has created and established from the very beginning. Yeah, and, and one thing that I've kind of come to realize is that I, I know in, in my own life as a man that uh, there's a lot of things to pay attention to. You know, there's a lot of plates that are spinning, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use for having a lot of things going on. Um, and so it's very easy to get into a stance that is a reactionary stance to where I'm, as long as everything is good or seems good, has the appearance of good, um, is not on fire, is not burning currently, then it's, it's probably okay, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we, we turn into these like firefighters who, uh, you know, everything looks like it belongs where it's supposed to go. All the hoses are rolled up. Like everything's ready to go. Like I'm ready to go if go time comes. Um, but if it, if it isn't and everything seems okay, then, then maybe I'm not, maybe I back off a little bit and I'm not paying attention and things start to slip a little bit um, until something happens. And then I pounce on that and try to fix it. And I become very reactionary as opposed to proactive. And so, you know, I get to a point where I'm like, oh, my wife's not responding, like maybe in the way that I would, I would like her to, not that I'm trying to control the way that she responds, but in a way where I feel like we would be in alignment, like we're out of alignment. Um, My children are not reacting uh, or behaving in a way that I feel is, um, is, is a way that I would want my household to be. Um, and, And I can even react in a negative way to those things and attack the person as opposed to look inward for a minute and say, well, wait a minute. Okay. Before I go after someone, for what it is that I don't think they're doing, how am I leading? Because if that is my role, which it is, how am I leading? And if I'm not leading, should I be at all surprised when things are not maybe going according to, you know, maybe what scripture says or what I, what I believe or, or whatnot. So I have to constantly turn that back on myself and say like, am I leading or am I not in this moment? Yeah, that's the key word right there is, is leadership. And so if men in biblical manhood were called to be leaders, um, and that doesn't mean, that doesn't diminish the role of women, and women have a very specific role that is beautiful as created by God himself, but as men created in the Imago Dei, the image of God, are called to be leaders, then we can't be reactionary. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right. Because of the weight that we feel to um, provide for our families, to lead our families, to lead in, in various situations, it becomes really easy to be reactionary. Yep. Um, and that might even be a default. I need to deal with this, and I need to deal with that, and I need to make sure that this is working, and I need to do this next, and I see that this child is acting out, and I need to make sure that my, lo- my wife feels loved. Well, if we're only reacting, then are we really truly leading? I think leadership is a very proactive um, stance that we need to take as men. Um, we need to be proactive in our marriages as our primary relationship here on earth. We need to be proactive and not reactive. We don't need to wait for our wife to want to have that sit-down conversation. We instead need to be seeking what is it that I am doing and what is it that I'm not doing that you need in order to fulfill your job 
your role as defined by God as wife? What do our kids need ahead of time? Not, I can't believe you're getting a D in geometry. Yeah. And now what do I do about it? It's, what do I do in order to make sure that my child is studying properly, is growing properly? Um, it, it's just reactionary as a default, and that's a lot to do with the busyness of our lives. It's a lot to do with, with the, the amount of tasks that we feel a weight to carry as men. Um, but God hasn't given us um, too much to handle. What yep. he has given us is, is the equipment ne- needed and necessary to be able to handle what he also gives us a responsibility for. And isn't it interesting that things that society are attacking pretty heavily uh, and have been for a while are the things that the Lord is calling us to be. Um, you know, the society calls masculinity of any type toxic. Toxic. And leaders, when we think of leadership, it's not, it's a tainted word now. You know, you, you've got leaders of big businesses that uh, did their business dirty in one way or another, didn't lead the people appropriately. You've got leaders of churches even that have fallen to different attacks or whatnot. Leader, like being a leader is a, there's a target on you, uh, essentially, right? When you accept a leadership role in general, but um, a lot of people are falling to, you know, the attacks that, that come. And so it's very hard, I think, for, you know, men to even want to verbalize this idea that we need to be, um, that we need to be a leader. And, and what does that look like? And how do I do that in a, in a world today that is very confused? Um, and then how do I maintain my masculinity uh, in a world that says that that's no good? Well, and I think that's twofold, right? I think one side of that is our society is reacting to um, manhood manipulation. In the past, men have not acted properly. Men have not responded properly. Men have not been real godly men. And because of that, our society reacts to that. And so, so part of the affront that we see on gender, masculinity, males... Um, is maybe um, an appropriate response to the fact that men haven't really done what they were called to do as godly men. The other side of that we cannot ignore is this is a very um, spiritual battle. Um, the, the attack on manhood and the attack on men is something that has ramifications and implications that trickle down throughout the house, throughout the church, throughout our society. And so if Satan can get his claws and and get a foothold into what uh, men are and who men are and undermine that, then the dominoes fall for our spouses and for our children. The the statistics show that over 80% of incarcerated individuals did not have a father figure in their home, a positive father figure. Yeah. That's that we have to not ignore the fact that that's an Ephesians chapter six thing, that the the battle is bigger than we can even comprehend, and the enemy doesn't look like us. No. That Satan is doing something very intentional when he's using um, our current American society to undermine who men are, because if we can take the dad out of the house, and if we can take the husband out of the marriage, and we can take the man out of the church then the dominoes will fall, and, and that will have 
um, a lasting impact on the United States and on the United States church and in the United States homes that um, will be very hard to recover from. And the man doesn't have to physically be removed to be removed, right? Oh, yeah. He could very much be there, not being effective, being passive. And and being busy. Being busy. Uh, I I mean, yeah, a man will fill his time with something. And it's very easy to say to yourself as a man, like, oh, I don't feel like I'm needed here. I don't feel like I'm um, maybe wanted here or whatever. So I just kind of settle back into um, a passive role and just... let the wheels fall off the cart for lack of a a better term. But, um, and we're not, you know, I I wasn't raised with, with a framework, a healthy framework for that to fall into. And so it's been very much a, uh, a figuring things out and stumbling and going to the Lord for (laughs) repentance and uh, finding new depths that I didn't know were as part of my being um, just because I wasn't raised that way. Um, I come from a divorce family and my mom had to kind of uh, finish raising us and also start a career over and lots of things had to happen. And so I've, I've taken even just the way that I relate to, um, to other men uh, just because of the examples that I had growing up and, and even women the examples that I had growing up, um, and, and that really has reflected my vision uh, or colored my glasses on what how I see the rest of the world. And it's taken experiences in figuring things out and going to the Lord, like Lord, why isn't this? You know, why am I feeling this way about these things? And the Lord revealing to me, like that's because you're you're not seeing love correctly. I'm not seeing. God's love correctly because I'm looking at God through uh, the lens of what I've experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's taken being around other men and getting a little bit of a view through their glasses for me to better understand like what that should look like. But it's very easy to, to feel like I'm on my own Island and mm-hmm. like, well, nobody understands like I'm, you know, probably the only uh, kid of divorce. I'm probably only, you know, one who's gone through these things. But then when you actually have conversations with other, with other men that happen through, you know, an event like our daddy daughter event or, uh, the man camp event. Um, and you're just having these, these candid conversations that somehow turn a little deeper. Um, you start to realize, wow, like, no, I'm not alone in that. Um, and they're struggling with those things, and it makes it easier to to feel and understand those situations and also go back to the Lord and say, Lord, what can we do differently, and how can we lean on each other to make sure we're continuously pointing towards the Lord? Yeah, I think that's one of the most valuable and important aspects of men's ministry is that we come together um, and support one another. And uh, there's a definition of intimacy that is that there's a vulnerability that happens in intimacy that gives us enough ammo to be able to wound the other person. But we also have a compassion and a care to recognize that that is a two-way street. And so I think one of the great 
reasons to be involved in men's ministry specifically is an accountability and a vulnerability and an intimacy with one another. My closest friends um, were able to have this conversation in a very open and vulnerable state that says, my marriage is struggling. I'm hurting. Um, I'm feeling this. I'm, I'm struggling in this area. And then be able to, to recognize that, that we're all going through that. Um, I think the, the picture of manhood sometimes is the Tom Hanks on the island of Castaway. That we're doing this all by ourselves, and we have to keep everything running. Yeah. That the corporation that we have created, whether it be in our marriages or in our families or in our workplaces, all relies upon us. And the reality is, is, is we can't carry that. No. Um, we, we could carry it for a short time. Oh, yeah. And we can carry it for seasons. And maybe there's a time where that's appropriate. Um, but we can't do that for the long haul. And when we try to do that for the long haul, um, all that ends up happening is that we crash and we are crushed under the weight of what we're trying to carry. And the, the devastation of being crushed as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a leader, um, means that those who are relying upon us um, fall. And, and it's, it's not worth it. Yep. It's not worth trying to say that we could do it on our own. Um, I would rather be vulnerable with you, Jared, and you be vulnerable with, vulnerable with me and us be open and, and willing to admit our faults and our failures and our struggles um, than to see you fall. Yep. And, and I know you would rather that than to see me fall. And um, that's a safer solution is that I help distribute that weight to Jared and Jared, you help distribute that weight to me yep. and we see us succeed. And so that's that web that we're trying to create in men's ministry. Yeah, and, and I'd say a word than the word manhood is the word vulnerable. Mm. I don't like being vulnerable. I see vulnerable as something that I should, you know, fight or flight from. If I'm feeling vulnerable, like I'm either going to run from that or I'm going to you know, punch the situation in the throat. Like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to have, like, vulnerability doesn't feel good. Um, and, and I think it's, it's because we've gotten so far away from what vulnerability should be. And, you know, we've, we've, we are now, rather than being vulnerable to, uh, or with another man who understands uh, what we're going through, um, are seeking that type of vulnerability or relationship with our, with our spouses. Mm. And I don't think that our wives are designed to, um, to handle that vulnerability. That's a good word. Yeah. Um, and, and, and not to say that you can't be vulnerable with your wife. You can't lean on her for support for, for sure. You know, that's a component of a healthy marriage, but there are aspects where I am not feeling enough where I need to share that with another man who can understand it. And even in saying that, share that with another man. I mean, there's so many ways of saying these things and using these words that are just so uncomfortable because of the society we live in these days. But the reality is that if I'm, if I'm not, I mean, there are things that I'm not going to say to my wife because I know that she's not going to respond well in the only way that I would know how to explain it. Um, But in having a conversation with another guy I explain it that way and they're like, yeah, me too. You know, that's, 
I, me because too. we think the same because and we experience things the same. We're cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we process things maybe differently, but definitely more similar than, um, than we would with our spouses. Right. And so in, in, in having a level of vulnerability with other guys like that needs, we need to normalize that somehow. Um, if it becomes too uncomfortable to use the word, <laughs> then we need to just, we need to come up with, a different, come word. Up with a different word. But um, the reality is that a guy going at it alone is a, usually a disaster waiting to happen. Absolutely. I know that for myself and I know that for the guys that I have gotten close enough to over the years that um, I know that, and it goes back to carrying, you said carrying all of that weight. Like if I am not offloading some of that onto friends of mine and they're offloading some of that onto me, because that's a different weight to carry. That's not shoulder weight. That's heart weight. That's and good. those are different yeah. kinds of weight. Um, shoulder weight makes it hard for us to move. Heart weight, I feel like it grows us in different ways. And so if I'm connecting with you and we're sharing things, I'm like, man, like I just, you know, can't connect with my wife in this way. And you're like, oh, me too. This was us. But, you know, we overcame that through this and we're learning from each Fair other enough. and helping each yeah. other grow. Um, or, you know, I, I, uh, I'm having these issues at work and, and you're shouldering a little bit of that for me, but it's a different type of weight that you're taking off of my shoulders. You're not carrying it for me in, in the, the grunt work of carrying that weight. You're um, uh, empathetically carrying that weight, which is different and something that we don't get that often as men these days. Well, and maybe one of the most important things that we can do uh, our friend Bill Phillips always says it's it's this one another yeah that we're doing this together. We were never intended to do it alone. And one of the right. most important things that we can be doing is committing to pray for each other. Yeah, I may not be going through the same experience, but I can definitely commit to praying for you. And uh, that may be the last thing that we do, but it's probably the first thing that we should do. And um, I think I would say this as we, as we kind of wrap up is this that um, when done properly manhood is a beautiful thing yep when men lead as husbands in their marriage as god has designed us to loving our spouse as christ loved the church then marriages work when men rise up as fathers in the household and lead their children well we see children successful it doesn't matter if they're homeschooled public school private schooled yep whatever it may be what we do see a common denominator in is men investing in their children as godly influential fathers when we see men rise up in leaders in our society as godly leaders it works as if god had a plan all along yeah and so biblical manhood is a very beautiful thing when applied properly yeah. that's how god designed it and that's how we should apply it i i have to believe that there are more conversations that the disciples had with jesus than what were published in scripture um, and some of those were vulnerable conversations yeah. where, you know, in the scripture, it's, it seems kind of matter of fact. It, um, it's, it's very much highlighting inefficiencies that are not inefficiencies, insecurities and things that, that the disciples didn't measure up to. But I, I just have to believe that there was conversations that were taking place that, um, that were building upon, uh, you know, what, what each of them needed individually in their own lives, because they, beyond disciples, they were, 
family men, they were men in the workplace. They all had different things and, and they had to commune together. I, I have to believe that it went beyond what was just published in the Bible. And there were moments where they went up, some of them went up with Jesus onto the mountain. Um, some of them didn't. And, and we see how that played out in their abilities to do different things. Um, like, you know, healing the demon possessed boy, um, three of the disciples went with Jesus. The rest of them couldn't get anything accomplished because they went at it alone. And that's a great example for us as men that we need to go with Jesus. We need to find other men that are going with Jesus. Yeah, that's our primary role as a man, a biblical manhood. A man is our primary role as a man of Christ. And so none of this is possible apart from him. Yeah, If we're trying to do this on our own and on our own strength, we're not going to be the biblical husbands, biblical fathers, biblical men that we're supposed to be. The disciples were able to do these things because of their proximity with Jesus. And that's, and that's too hard to try and accomplish those things by yourself. Um, not to say it's impossible, but I think it's pretty close to impossible that's right. to accomplish those things on your own. So if I could encourage anybody listening, um, it's, it's not that you need to jump into some immediate vulnerability group or something like that and, and just throw all of it out there on the table. That's not healthy either. And nobody wants to be on the receiving end of that and nobody is comfortable providing that. Uh, but to position yourself in places where other men who seem to have the same goal as you yeah. are headed. Like-minded men, that's right. And, and, you know, that means if there's men's ministry events or church on Sunday or getting involved in something on a Wednesday night or whatever where other men um, are, are heading in the same direction, that is where you start to identify like a couple of guys that um, might be in the same chapter of life as you. And, and, yeah. and it makes it much easier to do life with those guys. Maybe that's also where you identify um, a, a guy with 20, 30 years on you who, who's on the other end of things and can speak life into your life yeah. and, you know, mentor you, which is another word that just doesn't feel comfortable um, to say, like, you know, I'm looking to be mentored, or it's just uncomfortable to ask that question. But yeah, but it's so needed. So needed. So needed. It's so they've needed. Been it's, there. They've done that. And and the Bible outlines it very well for us yeah. in Titus two that there's this this structure of being receptive to listening and also suggesting to the older generation to. Um, not be so intolerant and also to take care of their own lives at that stage so that they can have influence over the younger Their, their wisdom is wasted in the grave. And so it they want to give it to us. And, yeah. and so they want to invest. Our grandfathers want to invest in, in the dads and the dads want to invest in the kids and the grandfathers want to invest in the kids. This is the way it was made. Yeah, and, and we've allowed separation of the generations uh, in society, for sure in the church. And, and that's extremely dangerous and something yeah. we need to guard against. And perhaps the topic of our next podcast, when you and I meet again. Intergenerational ministry. Intergenerational ministry. Um, but hey, I just I appreciate you being on this episode yeah, with me, so John. Um, I'm going to close us in prayer. And uh, for those of you listening, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, that's how you get notified when 
we put out new episodes, whether you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or, or whatever it is, um, hit that subscribe button. Uh, and if you have any questions or want help in any of this, um, obviously, I hope you're getting the vibe from me that I don't have it all together, but I'm going in the direction of where I know I need to be going at least. And if that is you, uh, men at easthaven.org is the email address. Shoot me an email. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I'm just so thankful for conversations like this. Um, Lord, it, it can feel like we're on an island alone as men just trying to survive marriage, survive parenting, survive the workplace, survive all the flaming arrows that society are sending our way. Um, but Lord, we're not. Like All of us as men are... Um, under attack in those same ways. Uh, Lord, manhood is under attack and has been for a long time, and and um, we can't let the enemy uh, get any more ground than the enemy already has has, uh, has captured. We need to step up as men, and uh, Lord, our example is you and the love, the grace, and the mercy that you pour out to us. Um, Lord, help us to uh, to be able to do that for others, to take what we have received from you and share it with others. Um, Lord, through that, we will find the type of relationships that we're looking for as men to help each other grow closer to you. Um, Lord, I, I very much believe that um, relational is a reciprocal process where like, I have to give and receive, um, and even though that doesn't feel normal, it feels weird, it, it's hard, Sometimes it's even messy, but it's necessary, Lord, that we are being relational, uh, that we are trying to find community so that we can all head in the right direction and not feel like we're the only one swimming upstream. So, Lord, I just pray for guidance in our own lives and, and strength so that we can actually carry this out because it's more weight than our shoulders can handle. Um, but, Lord, you've given us the Holy Spirit um, to, to go with us through all of this, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, Lord, I'm just thankful again for this time. We lift these words and the things that you've just inspired in our own lives uh, back up to you as worship. In Jesus' name, 